Welcome into the Chief Zone Podcast. I'm Farzee Masugan, your host of the Chief Zone Podcast. Oh man, what a weekend of football that was, especially Sunday's set of games. Uh, this might have been one of the best post-playoff weekends uh, I can recall in a long time. I, I mean, generally, once it goes down to the conference title games, well, you only have games uh, one day uh, of the week, which is going to be on Sundays, the two games. But as far as the weekends where you have four games total, this might be one of the best football weekends I can recall in a very long time. Patriots, Titans, everyone knew how that was going to go down. But, man, the other three really, they all came down to the to the wire, to the final minute. And all three of them lived up to the hype, especially that Viking Saints game. Looked like the Vikings were going to run away with it at first. But, man, uh, what an ending that was. A lot to talk about. I'll talk about those games later on in the podcast. As far as what we're going to talk about Chiefs-wise on the podcast, a lot of personal talk here. Definitely talking about the, the future of the Kansas City Chiefs. You, you know, who, who do we have on this offense and defense, and as well as special teams that you can trust moving forward with? And just really, what is there to look forward to down the road? Obviously, with the way Kansas City season has ended in, in the last two years, it's definitely definitely disappointing. Uh, you've seen some really great moments in the past two regular seasons, but you are not able to show for it with anything in the playoffs and Kansas City's got to find a way to work around that what is it that this team uh what, what why is it that this team can succeed in the regular season but cannot carry that over to the postseason so we'll see if we can find any common commonalities with that uh I'll let you guys know if you guys really want to follow along closely I'll definitely let you guys know my thoughts on all of this and we can kind of follow this together so we'll discuss that here on the podcast also want to hear from you guys there's a question i posted on the facebook page and a lot of you guys had a lot to say uh about the question i asked and i definitely want to read some of the comments that you guys posted on there so we'll we'll get into that in just a moment plus one play we saw in the playoffs that i am surprised we don't see more often and I think there's one NFL head coach out there that might copy that play and try it very soon. I'll tell you what that play was and who I think is going to try to recopy that play for his own team. If you guys want to interact, interact with me on social media, facebook.com slash Farzivusugi in the Facebook page. Like my Facebook page. Follow me on Facebook. Again, it's facebook.com slash Farzivusugi. Follow me on Twitter at Farzine21. And also email me, farzine at farzinevasugian.com. Hope you all had a great weekend. Hope you guys all stayed safe out there. I know the, the roads were kind of crazy in and around the Kansas City metro area. So hopefully you guys were all safe. Uh, stayed in if uh, you didn't have to go out. Uh, but man, uh, Tuesday's high in Kansas City, uh, or at least where I live in Olathe, the high is going to be 9 degrees and the low is 1 and uh, I, I'm, I'm just looking, and after that, it's going to be in the 30s and 40s. Then it's going to be in the 50s on Saturday, and then there's a chance of snow on Sunday. Man, I don't know what world we live in. We live in a world where, you know, there's a city out there named Kansas City where the, the weather is just up. And I remember uh, when, I was at the, uh, when I was at the University of Kansas, this is my last semester there, and... 
I remember walking to class, and it looked like a blizzard was about to happen. Uh, and listen, being in college, I did not follow the weather news much at all. It's funny, I, the, the only way I knew if it was going to get really cold or, or what the weather was going to be like, my mom would send me a text. And listen, we all know, I mean, we all love our moms, of course. Uh, but the only way I knew if, if the weather was going to be terrible is if I got some sort of uh, a text from my mom letting me know the weather was going to be bad and, and for her to... <laughs> To, to make sure I'll be okay. I remember going to class. It looked like there was a blizzard. It was snowing. The the, the skies, just, everything just looked ugly outside. So I go to my class. It's an hour, 15 minute class. I walk outside. There's no snow on the ground. It's sunny. Skies are clear. And this all happened within, what, 65 or 75 minutes. This is where we, this is where we live. An area where the weather is just completely up and down. And you never know what to make of it or what to expect from time to time. So, there it is. Uh, who knows if it's even going to snow on uh, on site. It could even jump to the 70s uh, one day and then go to single digits the next. That's what Kansas City weather is like. Because anytime I go anywhere else when I'm on vacation, people ask, uh, where are you from? I'll, I'll say Kansas City. Uh, and I don't say Kansas, even though I actually live in the state of Kansas, but, but people get Kansas and Kansas State. If I say Kansas, people think I, I'm on a farm. They, like, I, I had one guy in Vegas once ask me how many acres of land I own, and I, I, don't, I own zero acres of land. Uh, so uh, I, I just say Kansas City because at least it sounds more uh, uh, like you're in the, you're in the actual city. Uh, like there are, there's no rural territory there. Uh, so that's why, that's why I, I always say Kansas City. Even though I'm about 30 to 40 minutes away. But uh, enough about that. I do want to get into the playoffs later on. Because the three quarterbacks who are in the playoffs right now. Three of the four quarterbacks. Blake Bortles. Case Keenum. And Nick Foles. If the Chiefs only had a quarterback named Nick Foles on their team at one point or another. Maybe they would go to a conference title game. Maybe. I don't know. I'm not an NFL head coach or an NFL GM or any nowhere qualified to be running or operating an NFL franchise. But man, uh, if you told me you wouldn't uh, be able to make it to an uh, AFC title game with Nick Foles, oh boy! Uh, well, he was on the Chiefs roster at one point. I don't know. What do you make of that? What are you going to do about it? Can't do much about that. All right, let's get into the meat and potatoes of the show. You guys know the social media, so interact with me on there. I I, I do want you guys to follow along when I talk about the personal stuff, but there is one thing I do want to uh, get into. I asked you guys on the Facebook page shortly after the Vikings and Saints game, the final game of the divisional round uh, of the NFL playoffs, which was, again, a, a fantastic weekend, a great weekend of football. But I asked you guys, as Chiefs fans, what do you think the Chiefs can learn from this, or what is your big takeaway from these four games and the four teams that were victorious on uh, on divisional round NFL weekend, and I said I, I'd read some of your guys' answers on the podcast, and a couple of you guys had some fairly good comments to uh, that you guys posted. I think worth reading on here. Uh, first one comes from Scott says to never let up. Uh, Saints looked like they were out after falling behind seventeen nothing. They clawed back and took the lead. No lead is ever safe. Scott commented and says you don't have to have an elite quarterback. To advance, but you do need need some defensive talent and team speed on defense, which we don't have. 
Brent commented and says, defense wins championships. Running the ball is a must. Never give up. Joe says, keep your foot on the pedal. The Jags did and won. Uh, Michael said, Vikings blew a huge lead and put Case Keenum in the exact same scenario Alex Smith failed at last week. And he got it done, not once, but twice. Bring on Mahomes, uh, bring on the Mahomes era, and build a fast defense that can get after quarterbacks. Kerry says, clock management, of course. The Vikings should have run the ball and forced the Saints to use their last timeout, kick the field goal, and no time left on the clock. Well, they actually didn't kick the field goal. Uh, they got that miraculous uh, touchdown pass to Stephon Diggs. Uh, a couple of people. Richard says all about the, in all caps, coaching period. A lot of you guys talked about coaching. And a lot of you guys, of course, talking about the consistency. Uh, Jay says play all four quarters. Um, not going to read all of the comments here. But I think you guys uh, understand the main point here. A lot of you guys are talking about consistency and coaching. And I even wrote a Facebook post after the Jaguars defeated the the Steelers. I said that Blake Bortles is one game away from advancing to a Super Bowl. Blake Bortles. Now, add in Case Keenum, add in Nick Foles. And listen, I understand the Nick Foles situation is different, but they went into the playoffs with Nick Foles. The Falcons... A wild card seeded team were favored to beat a number one seeded team, which you never see in the NFL. Uh, I think the the best comparison I can make is last year when the Raiders with Derek Carr they were going into the playoffs, but after the Derek Carr injury in Week 16, uh, no one no one even favored the Raiders to make it very far. Listen, I think even as a wild card team, even though they were not at home. The Raiders were really a threat to go very far in in the playoffs that year. And honestly, and I've said this before, I think the Raiders really did have the capability of dethroning the Patriots that postseason. And we never saw it because at the end of the day, uh, you lose Derek Carr, you lose your backup quarterback, you have a, you have a rookie quarterback who you put out there in the Houston Texans uh, had no problems dominating that football game against an Oakland offense that was playing with their third-string quarterback. So, uh, a lot of times, I, I mean, listen, nowadays, like, what is there really an excuse? The Packers won a Super Bowl with tons of players that ended up on IR. Now, granted, none of their, I think only one of their key players, uh, Ryan Grant, I believe, the running back, was the only key player who ended up on IR. Uh, but still, I mean, you, there are a lot of those guys that you want on your roster. A lot of key players uh, who contribute, who provide some good depth for your football team. And still, the Packers won a Super Bowl. The Chicago Bears once reached the Super Bowl with Rex Grossman. The Denver Broncos reached a uh, reached the Super Bowl and won with arguably one of the most horrid seasons by a quarterback who ended up winning a Super Bowl in Peyton Manning. Let's not forget, Peyton Manning led the NFL in interceptions before he was pulled, and the Broncos benched him in that game against the Kansas City Chiefs. Had Peyton Manning played all 16 games that year, he probably would have led the interception uh, by a long margin, or large margin, I should say. So, listen, now Peyton Manning ended up going back to being the starter for the Broncos before the postseason got underway, but still didn't do very well. And what happened? 
The Broncos won the Super Bowl. Now look what you have in the playoffs. You have three quarterbacks who, let's be honest, let's find 100 casual fans and let's ask them who is the quarterback for the Jaguars. Maybe a couple of them can tell you Blake Bortles. Ask them the quarterback right now for the Eagles and the Vikings. Not many of them could tell you Case Keenum or Nick Foles. A lot of them are probably going to ask who the hell are those guys. I've never heard of those guys before in my life. So listen, we want to talk about talent on this football team, and we're going to get into the Chiefs' uh, personnel in just a moment, but at the end of the day, do you have to have an elite quarterback in order to dominate? Now listen, I understand, when you look at the AFC, look at who has represented the AFC in the Super Bowl. Look at the quarterbacks. It's either been Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, or Ben Roethlisberger, with the exception of one year, and that was Joe Flacco when the Baltimore Ravens won the Super Bowl in 2012. So, yeah, sure, there is this, you know, as far as getting to the actual championship game, getting to the Super Bowl and winning, yeah, you're going to need that top-tier level quarterback for sure and other great players across the board. But at the end of the day, there's no, I think what I've just learned about this game the past couple of years, more specifically with the Broncos, when they won the Super Bowl and looking at the three of the four teams in the playoffs right now, you don't have to have Pro Bowlers, you know, uh, with your with your pass catchers, with your backfield, offensive line, defensive line, linebackers, uh, defensive backs. Last podcast, I spent a lot of time talking about how the Chiefs have had some of the best players uh, in the past 20 to 25 years, yet they only have one playoff win to show for it. One of the best o- group of offensive linemen in NFL history have come and left Kansas City. And I don't need to go over the list because I went over it on the last podcast. If you haven't heard it, do check it out. Uh, it's a long list of great players who have played here, but again, only one playoff win to show for it since the 94 season. But look at the Jaguars. They don't have the most thrilling football team. I mean, do people really get excited if the Jaguars are playing on primetime football? And this this is no disrespect to the Jaguars. Hey, if you guys have been listening to the podcast, you guys have heard me really praise this football team. Heck, I even said it in, in my predictions last week. They're going to give the Steelers problems uh, w- w- with that defense. Now, it ended up being a high-scoring game, but early on, that defense did a did, did a number on Big Ben and that Steelers offense, and I think that was the ultimate difference maker in allowing the Jaguars to come away with a narrow win on the road in a hostile environment at Heinz Field. So, yeah, you've got to look at that as well. But at the end of the day, you don't have to have the most talented football team. You don't have to have Pro Bowlers all across the board. And listen. Uh, sports can be a crazy thing sometimes. I mean, just one tip on a on a pass, or I mean, in football, uh, w- one tip pass can go one crazy direction. It goes in the other team's favor. You get that interception, and that ends up being the biggest difference maker. And you know, on basketball, uh, you you shoot the ball, it, it rims out, time expires. That would have been the game winning shot right there. Had it not rimmed out. I, I mean, sports, there's always the luck element. And people say there's no luck in sports. Of course there is. There's always going to be a luck element 
And at the end of the day, the better teams, the great teams, just end up being more luckier than the bad teams. Look at the Cleveland Browns this year. They, they didn't have luck on their side at all because they've been really bad. Uh, great teams, even when they tend to struggle at times, they, they do get lucky at times. Uh, I mean, listen, uh, I think the one of the luckiest games I can recall in Chiefs history, uh, and this one's in recent memory, certainly when Phillip Rivers fumbled the snap on Monday Night Football on Halloween against the Chiefs in 2011, when all they had to do was just run the football, kill some clock, kick the field goal, and as long as you don't miss the field goal, you win that football game. Instead, the Chiefs forced overtime and won that football game and taking first place in the AFC West at the time. So, there's always going to be a luck element. So, listen, look at the Vikings with Stephon Diggs when he caught that pass. The the defender for New Orleans just completely misplayed that. I don't even know what the hell he did. It turned into an internet sensation. I've seen the Stone Cold Steve Austin stunner on that. I've, I've seen so many funny things with that, but the the defender for, for the Saints just completely misplayed that, tackles his own teammate, and there's no one there to stop Diggs. That's certainly luck right there when really Diggs should have been tackled in bounds, and that probably would have sealed the game right there. Not enough time to run up to the line of scrimmage and, and uh, spike the football. So listen, the, the luck element is everywhere, and there's nothing wrong with it. The Vikings won that game fair and square. Did they get lucky in the end with that misplay on defense? Absolutely. But you know what? A lot of teams get lucky at times. You just take advantage of it and you move on. You never apologize if you win, even if there was some luck involved in the most intense situation in the game, in the final play of the game. You never apologize for that. It's it's always going to be part of the sport. But I think we've come to the conclusion, and I think this is what, what my biggest takeaway is from the, divi- the divisional round of the NFL playoffs this weekend. You can never make any excuses in the sport. You just cannot do that. If Blake Bortles is going to the playoffs, or going to the Final Four, going to a conference title game, then the Kansas City Chiefs damn sure need to find a way to get to the to the conference title game. Because if the Jaguars can do it with Blake Bortles, damn man, Andy Reid has to be able to do it with either Alex Smith or Pat Mahomes. And some of you guys credited coaching for some of these teams making it as far as they did. I mean, listen, these are not big names in the coaching circle. Doug Marone of the Jaguars, Mike Zimmer of the Vikings. Who knows about these guys? These guys never get talked about. Doug Peterson of the Eagles. Everyone in Kansas City knows Doug Peterson because, of course, being the former offensive coordinator of the Kansas City Chiefs. And, of course, everyone in Philadelphia has familiarity with him. He was a quarterback there. He was the offensive coordinator before during Andy Reid's tenure as a head coach there. So people in Philadelphia have familiarity with him, but... Could a, could a casual football fan in Los Angeles honestly tell you who the head coach uh, of the Eagles is? Or the Vikings, the Jaguars? So people want to talk about coaching. We don't, we're don't. we not even talking about some of the big, biggest names and coaches. Now listen, maybe Doug Barone, Mike Zimmer, and Doug Peterson end up being some big name coaches. Such as Bill Belichick, 
Bill Cower, Tony Dungy, Andy Reid, Tom Coughlin. Maybe they get to that level at some point. But for right now, it is kind of a shocker just to see these three guys be in the position they are. Listen, maybe Matt Nagy becomes the next Bill Parcells. Maybe he becomes the next Rex Ryan. I don't know. No one ever knows. It's very hard to predict these things and see how things are going to go. You you just never know sometimes. You never know. But what you do know is that if those three coaches can lead their teams to conference title games with the quarterbacks that they have, there is no excuse for Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs to not be able to do what these three teams are doing. Certainly no excuse for that. Now, let's jump into this part because... The personnel side of things, I, th- I think this is going to be a very in- interesting podcast for Chiefs fans listening. Because you'll notice a lot of things with this Chiefs team. I'm going to go over the personnel right now on the roster. Let's talk about the f- current pending free agents for the Kansas City Chiefs. And who I think should be retained, will be retained. And uh, maybe look at their salaries a little bit. Because, boy, uh, there are a couple of big salary caps uh, big big cap numbers for 2018 that I think the Kansas City Chiefs need to restructure, find uh, find something, some way around it because there is no way some Chiefs fans will be happy with some of the cap numbers for next year on the team. If you want to follow along with me, go to Google, type Kansas City Chiefs depth chart, and then after that, Right, our lads, O-U-R-L-A-D-S. This is run by Dan Shonko, a former guest of the podcast, and we'll definitely have him back on again. Great scout. Uh, I've talked to him many times. He's actually from the Kansas City area. He's coached, uh, done some scouting with the Chiefs and with the Kansas Jayhawks. So uh, he, he's, he has uh, some familiarity with the area. I know he's talked about it. He has his family here uh, in Overland Park. So definitely a guy that uh, you know has some familiarity with the Kansas City area and especially the Kansas City Chiefs. So we'll definitely have him back on the podcast, especially when uh, we talk about the upcoming NFL draft. He's definitely a good guy to talk to, as well as Matt Miller, a friend of the podcast, and several others. Uh, but this is run by Dan Shunka. So again, go to Google if you want to follow along with me. If you're on a smartphone or if you're on your laptop and you want to follow along, just go to Google, type, uh, you can just type Chiefs Depth Chart or just type Chiefs Our Lads, O-U-R-L-A-D-S, and follow along with me on the depth chart. All right, let's start with the quarterback position because that's the obvious one. That's the biggest one right there. I think you've got to trade Alex Smith. There's definitely the possibility that you can get multiple second-round picks. A lot of people talking about the Cleveland Browns possibly giving up one of the two first-round picks they have, the number one overall pick or the number four overall pick. Uh, Listen, if the Browns are going to give a top-five pick to the Chiefs for Alex Smith, it's probably going to be the number four pick uh, and maybe... A third day pick. And maybe the Chiefs would have to give something uh, back. Maybe a third round pick or an early third day pick. In order to complete the trade. If John Dorsey really likes Alex Smith. That's that's probably the the type of trade we might be talking about here. Now again I've said on the podcast before. If I'm John Dorsey I keep those draft picks. Because Alex Smith is at the waning moments of his career. I, you, you don't know how much he has left. And I think going to... A new place like Cleveland, learning a new offense, I don't know if that would bode well for him necessarily. Now, I know Chiefs fans might not care about this, but I'm just talking from a John Dorsey standpoint. Draft your own guys. You have lots of draft picks this year, and you definitely need to find a way to bring in a lot of youth and 
Uh, pretty much do what Herm Edwards tried to do in, what year was it, 2008 with those 12 draft picks. Uh, they started with 13, walked away with 12, and they found a lot of great football players in the draft that year. Now, not all of them came to fruition, but you you got a lot of pro bowlers uh, from that uh, from that team. Brandon Albert, Brandon Flowers, Jamal Charles, and I think there were some some talented players that you know you could have seen their potential maybe with better coaching, such as Glenn Dorsey, Will Franklin, the former MU product, uh, and, and don't, don't forget about Brad Connor. I think he definitely uh, could have been a big star in the NFL as well if he had the right coaching staff around him. But uh, you get the idea. John Dorsey is in a very similar position that Carl Peterson and Herm Edwards were in in 2008 with all of those draft picks, a lot of draft picks, and uh, so many possibilities to turn that Browns franchise around uh, within two years if you draft right. You got a couple of bright-eyed players already on the team that you can work with. Try to find those few missing pieces, complete the puzzle. So uh, that's just my standpoint With John, from a John Dorsey standpoint. From a Chiefs standpoint, listen, uh, obviously you would love to get a top one of the top five picks if John Dorsey is just madly in love with Alex Smith and thinks Alex Smith will succeed. With that Cleveland offense, and again, I, I doubt he thinks this, but if he, for whatever reason, does, yeah, sure. I think if you're Kansas City, you've got to you've got to negotiate here because you do not have a first-round pick. And to get a top-five pick after winning 10 games, that certainly would be a huge gift, and you definitely could add in a big-name player to help your offense or your defense in a big way. Maybe there's that one missing player, one missing piece. And perhaps a, a big name rookie that you could take in the top five could come in, help fill that uh, big glittering hole, and try to move forward with it. So I think with Alex Smith, you've got to move on, trade him away, and move on with Patrick Mahomes. Tyler Wright is a pending free agent for 2018, so that is something that we definitely need to keep an eye on. I think Kansas City needs to bring in a veteran quarterback uh, to come in to serve as a backup for Patrick Mahomes. Plus, uh, I think it would be a good idea to draft a player, uh, a quarterback, in the third day uh, to also serve as another backup and then possibly find one uh, as an undrafted free agent. Maybe have the two rookies compete uh, going into next year's training camp and in the preseason. So definitely going to see some action with quarterback this year. Uh, right now, your depth chart is Alex Smith, Pat Mahomes, and Tyler Ray, and I think you could see uh, all of those three change. I think Pat Mahomes could be the starter. You could see two new backups this year. I don't think Tyler Ray comes back to the Kansas City Chiefs. Running back position, this is very interesting because you have Spencer Ware, who got injured in the third preseason game and has had some flashes with the Kansas City Chiefs. One of the better pass-catching running backs that we saw in 2016. Charkandrick West, we know what he was capable of when he filled in for Jamal Charles, and the work that he put in this year filling in for Kareem Hunt at times. Had some flashes, but not consistent. That's one thing to keep in mind. Uh, And, of course, Kareem Hunt led the NFL in rushing as a rookie. Second year in a row, a rookie led the league in rushing yards. So, and and look, of course... uh, we we can sit here and talk about how the suspension for Ezekiel Elliott played a hand in that, but at, at the end of the day, you just go you got to go with what the results are. And at the end of the day, Kareem Hunt led the NFL in rushing yards. About a year ago, this time I said the same thing. Where I said with the, with Jamal Charles back when he was on the team, 
I did not need Jamal Charles to be a 1,000-yard rusher. I was fine with him being the starter, but also not carrying the load as much as he has in, in the past. I think with Jamal Charles, at his age, you had to understand the fact that he may not be the running back he once was and that Charkandrick West and Spencer Ware need to uh, get, get a lot of the carries. Then uh, again, that's, of course, assuming that they're both healthy. But uh, let's not forget, uh, the Chiefs did hand out a three-year contract to both West and Ware a couple of years ago, and this is going to be the final year of their contract. So this, this is going to be de- definitely very interesting to watch uh, to see how those guys do in the final years of their contracts while backing up Kareem Hunt. So you've got a very unique group of running backs here. I think some of these running backs maybe could turn into starters at some point down the road. CJ Spiller, we know what he's capable of with his speed, but we haven't seen a lot of him in the game. He had a very weird season with the Chiefs. He's, of course, a pending free agent, but we don't know exactly what's going to happen with him. Look at Anthony Sherman, the fullback. One of the better fullbacks in the NFL, and I know that's a position that you don't see a lot on other NFL teams, but that's a position the Kansas City Chiefs still utilize, and they definitely need to retain him in order to have uh, a, a good rushing game, and Kansas City's been very fortunate with fullbacks. You you, you had Kimball Anders, Tony Richardson, Mike Cox, who I thought was a very underrated tight end and played a big hand in helping Jamal Charles be one of the best running backs in the NFL while he was with Kansas City, and then you bring in Anthony Sherman, who, again, did some great things on special teams for the Chiefs, great things on offense as a fullback, and it was even the, it did a good job as a feature back, too, in Week 17 for the Chiefs when the backups played against the Broncos. So this is definitely a guy you cannot lose, and I definitely want to see Anthony Sherman back for the Chiefs in 2018 and beyond if possible. Wide receivers, this is a very interesting one. This is one that I think Kansas City has a lot of potential. This is actually the first time in a very long time I have been very... Confident and also excited about the, this receiving core. You have Tyree Kill. We don't need to get into Tyree Kill a whole lot as far as offensively speaking. Well, one of the most fun wide receivers to watch this year. But look, we, we know about Tyree Kill. I don't need to get into him too much. Demarcus Robinson. This is a very interesting one here. This is a guy who played in the fourth quarter of the fourth preseason game, only to end up finishing the season as an occasional starter. Jeremy Macklin was let go in, uh, right before uh, the end of the offseason. Chris Conley suffered an injury, and I'll get to Chris Conley in a moment. Then you saw you know, other injuries take place, and eventually you just saw Demarcus Robinson quietly get the starting role and had a very good season with the Chiefs when his number was called. I thought he made some plays whenever they had... Uh, opportunities to throw to him that Pittsburgh Steelers game where Alex Smith overthrew him twice once in the end zone and once in front of the end zone but he's always in position to try to make a play and try to help the Chiefs move the football so I definitely think this is a guy who the Chiefs need to work with and you Pat Mahomes had a great preseason with him so if we can see these two guys continue to develop I think that preseason success can can translate into success in the regular season as well. Let's not forget Albert Wilson and Pat Mahomes. They had a very good Week 17 game against the Denver Broncos. Albert Wilson is expected to be a free agent unless he is re-signed or tagged. Uh, definitely not expecting him to be tagged. However, I think Albert Wilson really does have the ability to serve as one of the best number two wide receivers 
in the NFL. I really do. The idea of having Tyreek Hill, Demarcus Robinson, and Albert Wilson working with Pat Mahomes, the idea of that sounds pretty fun. Not a lot of people could tell you about Demarcus Robinson and Albert Wilson, but those guys both have a lot of speed, especially Albert Wilson. And Albert Wilson, I feel like this was easily the best season he's had as a Kansas City Chief. And this is... This is a guy that you definitely want to have back on your football team, especially on your offense. Yeah, sure, you've got your you've got the Pro Bowlers, Tra- Travis Kelsey, Tyree Kill, and Kareem Hunt, but you also got to have these other guys, these second tier guys on your team, because you cannot make it obvious that those are the only three guys you're going to work with. You've got to work with some of the backups as well. That's why you have 53 guys. That's why you've got to have strong depth. And I think Albert Wilson definitely fulfills that and would help this Chiefs offense as well as Demarcus Robinson now. Chris Conley, this is this is very interesting because I we talked a lot about him and how great of a combine he had, but that doesn't always lead to dominance on the football field, and we haven't seen that from Chris Conley. Now, I will say he did come through, not necessarily on the stat sheet, but he did come away with some key catches on third down when the Chiefs needed him. Uh, he would only have a couple of catches here and there, but his presence on third down was very important for this offense, and when he went down you notice a bit of a setback with the offense at times. So this is going to be an interesting one with the Chiefs. Now, he's not expected to be a free agent. I believe next year is the final year of his contract, his rookie deal. So next year is going to be an important year for Chris Conley. And that could be the year where he either can prove that he can be in the NFL for a long time, or he could end up being a journeyman in the NFL. Because he hasn't done a lot of great things in Kansas City, uh, as far as being con- as far as consistency goes, that's been a tough one to see from Chris Conley. We haven't seen a whole lot of that. Injuries never help. That's always a devastating way to go down. Hopefully, he can come back. Hopefully, he's been taking the time to recover and be ready for OTAs and training camp. Because if you're going to go with Pat Mahomes as your new starting quarterback, you're going to need everybody. You know, from your running backs, your tight ends, your pro, your wide receivers, and you got pro bowlers at all three of those positions, you're going to need those guys to work with Pat Mahomes and get used to getting the feel of working with one another. And, and, and listen, if, if Pat Mahomes got an opportunity to play with Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill in Week 17, that would have been nice. But you obviously don't want to risk injury. And at the end of the day, Pat Mahomes coming in. I saw people wanting him to come in during the second half of that Titans game. And look, even if Pat Mahomes came in, how much experience does he really have with Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill to the point where he could lead this team to a, to a win? I don't think that would have happened. And I said this before, but I'll say it again. If if Pat Mahomes can spend some time working, playing with the number ones, getting those repetitions in practice this offseason... He'll get a good feel of where Travis Kelsey is and where to throw the football for him. And same thing for Tyreek Hill. With Tyreek Hill, you've got to make sure, and Alex Smith did a great job of this, you've got to make sure that you throw the football right where you need to and how about the right time, especially with his speed. Now, there were times where Alex Smith underthrew Tyreek Hill by a wide margin and Tyreek Hill had to break stride to try to make certain catches, which you never want to see, especially when you have a speedster like that and you never want that to go to waste. You always want to use that to your advantage and try to hurt other defenses with that. Offensive linemen, this is going to be a very interesting one to see. 
Eric Fisher, he is making $13.95 million in 2018. There's no way in hell Eric Fisher is a $14 million offensive tackle. He is not. And he may not be open to restructuring that contract. So that is an interesting one. Of course, that comes from John Dorsey. So you may not, you may, you, you may see the Chiefs try to restructure it. But listen, if I'm Eric Fisher, I don't want to restructure that. I want my $14 million that John Dorsey gave me. So it's going to be interesting to see how the Chiefs try to handle that in the offseason. Mitch Morse. The center from Mizzou who ended up on IR. And let's not forget about Zach Fulton who has played a lot of interior guard, interior guard for the Chiefs the past couple of years. Despite being a 6th round pick in 2014. He's done fairly well. Not too bad. Uh, been a good feeling guy for the Kansas City Chiefs when his number has been called. But listen, Mitch Morris has been up and down in his career. Got off to a fantastic start in 2015 as a rookie. But... We haven't necessarily seen him come out, come come off as that dominant center. If you remember, after the first NFL weekend of uh, 2015, after week one, Mitch Morse was the highest rated center by Pro Football Focus. And he was the highest rated center for a couple of weeks to start off the 2015 season. And we never saw him be that same center again. Now, he has played offensive tackle at Mizzou. Uh, who knows if a position switch could be on the rise. That could be a possibility. I, I doubt that. I think he's better as a, as a center in the NFL. But then again, I, I always find it interesting when scouts and, and coaches say, well, this guy plays wide receiver, but would be better in a running back role or vice versa. Offensive lineman is very unique because, you know, I, former tackler Mitch Morse moved to center. I remember David DeCastro when he was coming uh, out of, can't remember what college it was, actually, to be honest with you. But uh, when he came in, and I thought the Kansas City Chiefs were going to get him, he ended up in, in in Pittsburgh. I remember hearing that he could play four of the five offensive line spots. And kind of makes you wonder, why can he not play that fifth spot? And why is it that he can play uh, two of the guard positions, one of the tackle positions, and the center positions? Why is it that he, he, he could play that, that many? And what le- what makes an NFL coach believe that he'd be a better guard than anything else, than a center or a tackle? So this is one that I can never really explain. Maybe we can get into that with one of the, one of our scouting friends, uh, such as Dan Shanka or Matt Miller later in the offseason. But uh, definitely one to uh, keep an eye on for sure. Brian Witzman, not the biggest fan of him this season. Zach Fulton, by the way, is uh, one of the... Free agents for 2018, so definitely want to keep an eye on him, as is Jordan Devey, both listed as centers on this depth chart. So Kansas City's only center, if they fail to retain those two guys, would be Mitch Morse, and they would definitely need somebody else as a backup. Parker Enniger, we didn't see a whole, we haven't seen a whole lot of him since he's been drafted, and you'd like to see him have, uh, have, just be more active with the Chiefs, I guess. Uh, Mitchell Schwartz, one of the, uh, arguably the best player on this offensive line. Uh, Second team All-Pro honors for him, excuse me. Former Cleveland Brown came to Kansas City and had a very good season. Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, the Canadian doctor, I feel like uh, very underappreciated offensive lineman. One of the better guards 
underrated guards in the NFL for sure. And Cameron Irving, uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do with him too. Another former Cleveland Brown, this one who the Chiefs traded for, bringing him to Kansas City, and he he was served as a backup tackle. And it'll be interesting to see if the Chiefs want to do anything with him in the, in the near future. Forgot about the tight end position. Let me go back to that real quickly. Travis Kelsey, of course, like Tyreek Hill, we know about him. We don't need to get too deeply into him. Demetrius Harris, I think, is very similar to Travis Kelsey, but that consistency right there, that's that's what hurts him the most. He had that. He's had several key drops. I can't remember what game this was, who it was against. I want to say it was the New York Jets, but don't quote me on that. But he did. Uh, he, he was wide open at the five yard line. Alex Smith throws it right to his hands, and all he has to do is walk into the end zone, but instead he drops it when nobody was around him for what should have been an easy touchdown grab uh, and and walk into the end zone. But, boy, uh, this is a guy who the Chiefs may need to consider letting go. He's been a liability at times, and then there are times where he looks like he could easily be a starting tight end on an NFL roster. Char- uh, Orson Charles, look, uh, a lot of people were frustrated on third and two. The Chiefs didn't run it, and it said they threw it to Orson Charles on third and two. Now, not only that, he drops it on third and two. Now, listen, a lot of people will make the argument that this guy gets paid a lot of money to to catch a pass. Why He should have caught it there. And I say, yeah, I absolutely agree. Even though I, I don't agree with the play call, you should have ran the football with your league-leading running back, but uh, here's the other thing I'll also add on. There's a reason why Orson Charles is a third-string tight end and was signed late in the season. If he caught passes like that consistently, he probably, first of all, would not be a third-string tight end. Second of all, he would not have been a free agent either at the time. So there's a reason why you you have guys who are second, third, fourth-string guys and there's a, another reason why guys are available in the offseason sometimes. Some of them may be waiting for the right team, like Darrell Revis, but maybe some teams feel like Darrell Revis might not be the same quarterback he once was. I don't know. But as far as Orson Charles goes, there's a reason why he's a third-string tight end that was available late for the Chiefs, and that definitely backfired when the Chiefs tried to throw it to him on third and short. Let's go over to the other side of the football, the defensive side, where... Very surprising just how bad the defense was this year under Bob Sutton, who, by the way, is still the defensive coordinator of this football team as of early Tuesday morning. But looking at the defensive line, Benny Logan, expected to be a free agent, Alan Bailey, and Chris Jones. Chris Jones, who I definitely think was robbed of a Pro Bowl and even an All-Pro spot. Definitely a guy who should have been drafted in the first round in 2016 and somebody who... Really has made a lot of plays. One of the very few better run-stopping defensive players on this football team. And occasionally does a very good job of getting through offensive linemen and putting pressure on opposing quarterbacks. So Chris Jones is definitely a guy you want to continue to work with. And the Chiefs certainly very lucky he fell to them in the second round. Benny Logan, not the biggest fan of him. I don't think he did a very good job. Definitely would be willing to see him walk away. A lot of people wondering if Dontari Poe would consider coming back to Kansas City. Now, of course, he may consider staying in Atlanta. We'll see. Uh, But the Chiefs definitely missed Dontari Poe's presence this offseason. A lot of people thought he was not worth the money. I said he was. 
And at the end of the day, given how Kansas City did defensively, especially against the run, I think Dontari Poe definitely was missed by the Chiefs. This year, Alan Bailey, he's kind of had an up-and-down career with the Kansas City Chiefs, drafted in the third round in 2011. But I think this is a guy, if he can have some of the better seasons like he did in 2015, this is a guy who I think can have a very good career at defensive end in a 3-4 system. Some of the notable notable backups on this defense, uh, Rakeem Nunes-Roches, Definitely someone who I, I want to see the Chiefs keep and work with. I think he's made some plays occasionally, and he's done a good job filling in at times. So that's definitely one uh, that I think is worth mentioning. I really don't think there are a lot of very good defensive players on this defensive line. Looking at the pending free agents, Benny Logan I mentioned, free agent Stephon Charles is backup, and Jarvis Jenkins another backup. So nothing crazy as far as defensive linemen goes. I, I think maybe there's a possibility the Chiefs try, if they can get a first-round pick, try to get a defensive lineman in the upcoming draft. Maybe you'd look for a reliable defensive lineman through free agency as well. Linebackers, on paper, it looks great. You've got Justin Houston, Derek Johnson, Reggie Raglan, and then you've got Frank Zombo. Uh, as far as backups go, Tabahali, Kevin Pierre-Lewis, uh, Tano Passigno, a lot of a lot of interesting players in this linebacking corp. Now, Derek Johnson, look, I just don't think he was the linebacker he once was. Although I thought he had a great wild card game, he just he didn't have a great regular season. Whereas Reggie Ragland, coming from the Buffalo Bills, I thought he did a great job. the uh, The only person outside of Chris Jones who I thought did very well against the run was Reggie Ragland, and he had his hand on a lot of plays for the Chiefs against the Titans. And this is a guy you definitely want to keep around here. Uh, I really hope this is someone who's going to be in Kansas City for a long time. If he plays the way he did in 2017, if he can do that for years to come, he's definitely going to earn himself a Pro Bowl bid at some point. This is a a linebacker you definitely want to work around with your defense. Derek Johnson, if he can play well like he did in the Titans game, he's, he's just been inconsistent the past couple of years. That's been the problem with Derek Johnson. And you look at his contract... He's set to make $10.25 million. Tom Bahali, $9.7 million. And D. Ford, who finished the season on IR, he's set to make $8.7 million. So you've got three first-round draft picks. Holly, Ford, and Johnson. All of them set to make $8 million or more. dollars, And I don't know if any of those three are worthy of their current contracts right now. Justin Houston... He and Alex Smith both set to make $20.6 million, the two highest on the football team right now. And Eric Fisher right behind those guys. I mentioned his, his number already, $13.95 million. So, look, again, on paper, this looks like a very good group. But with the amount of money they're making and the inconsistency you saw this year with this linebacking court, maybe that off and off year. I don't know. But I think this is why if Bobson's going to be back, he's got to understand Use these linebackers to their strengths. Don't do uh, the craziness you did having him back in coverage the way you did. I, I just think that was a very bad thing to do. And that really hurt this Chiefs defense this year. And listen, it was no accident. When the Chiefs won, they had they had sacks and they got takeaways. When they didn't win, you didn't see a whole lot of sacks. You didn't see a whole lot of takeaways. And, you know, I, I think the, the, the rushing game, the success of the rushing game correlated with the Chiefs when they won and when the rushing game was non-existent you saw them not do very well 
And I think that also goes with the, the defense too. So I don't think that's any accident. That's not a coincidence. That all happened for a reason. And I think, you know, Bob Sutton, who I think is one of the better defensive coordinators out there. He's been one of the better defensive coordinators for the past couple of years. But for whatever reason, in the in the postseason, this defense just happens to fall apart. You saw it in the Colts game. The Steelers game was not so much Bob Sutton. Uh, I think in that Patriots game, okay, maybe some blame on Bob Sutton, but not too much of it. Listen, keep in mind you're playing the Patriots. I'm not saying that's an excuse, but look, I mean, there's a reason why they could be on their way to winning their sixth Super Bowl. And, uh, of course, this past year, uh, blowing an 18-point lead and letting the Titans just do anything and everything in that second half. If you can just keep doing the same thing you've done from 2013 through 2016, because this year was a horrible year for the defense. But there have been years where this defense, and again, you have a lot of the personnel here, and I know Eric Berry was absent, but this defense, they have dominated with sacks and takeaways, especially in 2013 and 2016. And hopefully Eric Berry can stay healthy. And I'll get to the defensive backs in a moment, but... These linebackers, this is a very good group. Frank Zombo, I don't think, had the, had the greatest year. But, you know, as a rotational guy, he's done a good job for the Chiefs in the past. I don't know if that's a role that they want to consider for him in the future. Maybe Tom Bahali does end up starting for the Chiefs next season. Uh, instead of stay, staying on the PUP for the first half of the season. I don't know what the Chiefs want to do with Tom Bahali. That's going to be a very interesting one to see. But... This is a good group of linebackers, and they they did not play to their strengths. I don't think this these linebackers. Uh, I, I just I, I I have a hard time believing that this is the best that they can play at. I know they can play better than this, and maybe that's me being a little bit of a biased Chiefs fan. But I truly do think that we could have seen better from these linebackers, and I think coaching has a big part to do with that. Defensive backs. Uh, let me just put Darrell Revis to the side for now. Because you had Daniel Sorensen and Ron Parker as your primary safeties this year. And you had to work with those guys because Eric Berry, of course, suffered that injury in week one against the Patriots late in that game. And listen, Eric Berry, he had a huge hand in the Chiefs. uh, Coming up with not one, but two stops on fourth down against the Patriots. We're talking about the Patriots here. So you definitely miss his presence. In 2017. And we all know what Eric Berry unanimously voted as the team MVP in 2016. Single-handedly won two football games for you that year. Against the Carolina Panthers and the Atlanta Falcons. And had it not been for his interception on the tip pass from Frank Zombo against the Steelers in the playoffs. That would not have been a two-point game. It would have been a two-possession win for the Steelers. So Eric Berry really had a big hand on Kansas City's defense. And also, I mean, the team overall. Last year. Now, Ron Parker, who I think is a very underrated safety. uh, This is the guy who, again, very underappreciated. Can do some special things for your secondaries. Daniel Sorensen, not the greatest safety in the world. But for a guy who filled in at Eric Berry's spot, I feel like he did a good job at times. And was able to come up with with some stops when your front seven was unable to do so. Marcus Peters, kind of a down year for him. But definitely not to the point where he should have been kicked off the team like a lot of people thought so. You always want to try your best with a player like him who maybe doesn't have his head on straight. But listen, uh, hopefully Eric Berry can keep working with him at this. Because it seemed like that suspension really seemed to be a turning point for him until he 
uh, punch the pads of one of the Titans players after the Chiefs uh, failed to come up with a stop when the Titans ran the football on third and long, converting and getting a first down. So, uh, Marcus Peters, listen, this guy's a phenomenal cover corner. He really is. Tackling, certainly something to work on, but as far as, just as an overall cornerback, one of the best in the NFL. His interception numbers have gone down from 8 to 6 to 5. But he still has 19 interceptions in three seasons. And that is a very high number. Led the uh, led all defensive backs in interception yards in 2017. And actually, I take that back. He actually led all, def- all defensive players. And interception yards with 137 yards. Uh, Take a look at this. Marcus Peters, just five picks. 137 yards. Kevin Byard of the Tennessee Titans, the free safety. He led the league with eight interceptions. And had seven fewer yards, or return yards off interceptions than Marcus Peters did. So not only can Marcus Peters be a ball hawking cornerback, but the guy... As soon as he gets his hand on the football, he immediately runs the other direction, doing everything he can to put the offense in good field position, which I think is definitely something you want out of a defensive player. And as an offense, that's definitely appreciated. It's almost like getting a a great kick return uh, right before your offense takes over the field or, or getting a great punt return before the offense enters the field. So there are a lot of good defensive backs on this football team. Terrence Mitchell, kind of been up and down. Love what I saw from him late in 2016 when he joined the team late. But we didn't see that Terrence Mitchell in 2017. So maybe the Chiefs try to work with him on that. Uh, Philip Gaines, I know he didn't have a very good season. I feel like the Chiefs have been very patient with him. And I think it's kind of at the point now where the Chiefs should part ways with him and let him walk this offseason. Stephen Terrell... And Kenneth Acker, also a defensive back on the team, is set to be free agents as well. Now, I do want to go to Darrell Revis for a moment because he obviously didn't have the greatest impact uh, when he joined the team. Uh, not the Revis Island we're used to seeing. And I think a big part of that has to do with the fact that he joined the team late. Now, yes, he did. He, he's familiar with Bob Sutton. I remember, it's funny, I remember he... Uh, <laughs> Uh, one of the NFL sideline reporters, I forgot who it was, I don't know if it was Tracy Wolfson or somebody else, but there was talk about how Darrell Revis, quote, knows uh, the defense like the back of his hand, yet they did not start him when he joined the team uh, the, 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 the week he, he signed with the Chiefs. If a guy knows the defense, quote, like the back of his hand, why does he need a week to be on the sidelines? I think he should have started right away. Let him get his feet wet. Let him get used to things. But look, not worth really complaining about too much. At the end of the day, he does have familiarity with Bob Sutton. I think familiarity, we all know, is a very important thing in the National Football League. Uh, I, I talked about this before, and I think we can talk more about this because now it's more relevant for the Kansas City Chiefs as they are in offseason mode, unfortunately. But the idea of Kansas City, fingers crossed, Having a strong front seven that attacks the pocket and goes after quarterbacks, starts terrorizing them, forcing ill-advised passes. And again, the Chiefs do have the talent for that. 
But the secondary that has Eric Berry, Marcus Peters, Darrell Rivas, and then you've got guys like Steven Nelson, who can be a good slot cornerback. Maybe not a good number two, but maybe he can return to that slot corner role, that nickel cornerback role, and do what he did in 2016. Ron Parker, as I mentioned, very underrated safety. And Daniel Sorensen, who I think can be active with the Chiefs in rotation with Eric Berry and Ron Parker. Now, fingers crossed. Hopefully you hopefully you can have luck on your side and, and stay healthy. But that is a defensive back, a, a, a group of defensive backs that I don't think any offensive coordinator is, is going to have an easy time planning for. There's just no way around it. And I think if you're Kansas City, you want to bring back Darrell Rivas. I think he is worth the risk bringing back and putting him out there with Marcus Peters, uh, Eric Berry. Again, I I think Marcus Peters, who also is going to be in the final year of his contract, and you want to try to try to keep him in Kansas City for a long time, especially if he's going to continue to play at this level. Hopefully being around veterans like Rivas and Berry will help him mature and not do these silly antics that he's done, you know, punching players, throwing penalty flags. Hopefully he stays away from that because Kansas City needs, Kansas City's going to need Marcus Peters. They're going to need Eric Berry and Darrell Rivas and the rest of these guys who also serve as, as key pieces for your, for your secondary. And again, if the pass rush is there, if Justin Houston can return to his 2014 form, if Tom Bahali has maybe one more good season left in him, Hell, if they decide to keep D Ford, if D Ford can maybe have the kind of success he had early in 2016, then listen, this is going to be a defense that's going to similar similarly to 2013 and 2016 be on top in sacks and takeaways, and that is a huge reason why they won 11 games in 2013 and 12 games in 2016. So there are a lot of talented players. And again, you look at teams that are in the final four right now. They don't have, I don't think they have the talent that the Chiefs have. Now the biggest, the biggest thing here. Offensively speaking, the quarterback's the biggest one. A lot of people are thinking you'll see progress with Pat Mahomes. And of course with the offensive line and I think with free agency in the draft, you can, you can work on that. Defensively, if coaching-wise they can do a better job and have your front seven actually do what they're great at, which is attacking the pocket and going after quarterbacks, then you're going to have success like you did in 2016 and 2013. And I know as far as stats go, I keep mentioning those two years. I think 2014 is important because in a season where Eric Berry only played six games, that defense didn't dominate when it came to, to sacks and takeaways uh, outside of Justin Houston's 20, what was it, 22 sacks. This Chiefs defense did not allow a team to score more 30 or more points on them. Not a single team could do that on the Chiefs. The only team that year, the Chiefs, that didn't allow 30 or more points. And this is not a Chiefs team... Yes, they, they've always been a bend-don't-break, and I think if they can make those adjustments this offseason and learn their lesson with 2017, maybe that bend-don't-break can turn into dominate and dominate and dominate. Similar in 2013, where they were one of the best. Not just in takeaways and sacks, but also in yards. 
not allowing teams to go off and have a field day. That's what you want to see from this defense. And this defense, definitely capable of that. And maybe that's why they're keeping Bob Sutton around. Because they feel like uh, having him next to Darrell Revis, that, that, that's an important thing to have. And maybe if they can just make those simple adjustments, this defense could be better. I, I think, you know, watching it as a spectator, again, I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, I'm nowhere near qualified to coach a team, but uh, I, I don't think you have to be some NFL expert, some scouting genius to know that you shouldn't have Justin Houston and all these great pass rushers Back in coverage occasionally, 99% of the time they should be going after quarterbacks. That's It's a pretty simple thing. There's a reason why Justin Houston has the sack artist label. Because he's good at that. Tom Bahali, he didn't, he didn't do much for the Chiefs. But there were times where you saw him beat, beat out offensive linemen and put pressure on quarterbacks. Those aren't numbers that you'll see on... ESPN or NFL.com, but those are numbers you'll see on some of the premium statistics sites, such as a pro football focus. Let's look at special teams here before we wrap up the podcast and do our closing segments. Dustin Colquitt is expected to be a free agent. Not so sure if I want him back. I think he I think he is really overrated. As as a punter for the Chiefs, I, I think Chiefs fans, I understand that he was labeled as the MVP for a couple of years because Kansas City did not have an offense for quite some time. But when you look at his numbers compared to other punters, he's nowhere near even the top 10. So I think Dustin Colquitt is someone who you've got to let go. A, a guy who's been on this team the longest. I, I think only only Derek Johnson has been on the team longer. And that was by one day. Both Derek Johnson and Dustin Colquitt were drafted in 2005. Derek Johnson was... Well, actually, I forgot. Uh, because in the past, the first, second, and third rounds were were in the same day, both on a Saturday. Uh, so I forgot about that. Derek Johnson was drafted in the first round. Dustin Colquitt in the third round. Derek Johnson was drafted just a couple of hours before Dustin Colquitt was. So those are your two longest-tenured Chiefs players right now. And Dustin Colquitt, yes, he's been around the team for a very long time, but I don't think this is somebody who I think is worth bringing back unless it's for the right price for uh, 2018 and and beyond. Harrison Butker, listen, I, I I think the guy, if he played all 16 games, he would have led the NFL in total field goals made. He ended up being a Pro Bowl alternate and did not play the first couple of games while being on a, a, another team's practice squad as a rookie. So Harrison Butker, in my opinion... Uh, easily the best kicker in the NFL this season and someone who the Chiefs will can rely on and hopefully they don't see much of him because Kansas City's offense should be able to finish drives more and ending them in sixes rather than threes. But hey, okay, listen, even the best NFL offenses, they need the, they need the best kicker because not, you're not always going to finish every drive in a touchdown. You, not even the Patriots do that. Not even the best offenses in the NFL do that. So... You do need a guy like Harrison Butker to always be there for you. And hopefully every now and then when you don't finish a drive successfully, you can have Harrison Butker go out there and attempt a field goal. And more times than not, he'll come through for you and split the uprights. James Winchester, no problem with him. Always been one of the better long snappers. And the Chiefs have been very fortunate to have good long snappers here in Kansas City. And the holding position, uh, this this one kind of goes back to the punter because Dustin Colquitt 
is not only the punter, but of course the holder as well. Maybe he brings some value in that. He's always done a good job with that holding position uh, in, uh, in part of the field goal team. And maybe he is brought back because of that. Generally, you see backup quarterbacks who serve as holders, but very uh, not every team uh, has their punter also be the holder. So, uh, And Dustin Colquitt, again, has done a great job with that. So maybe he does return and the Chiefs do bring him back uh, because of his ability to be able to do both of those things. Uh, that's something to to keep in, keep in mind. Special teams, Tyreek Hill, uh, not the greatest year for Tyreek Hill compared to last year. And I think part of it has to do with the fact is that they would rather have him focus more on offense than, than special teams. Listen, Jamal Charles, he had a kick return touchdown for the Chiefs in 2009. But they did not want him to be the kick returner in 2010 because they wanted him to focus on offense where he was the best at that in 2010, as we remember. Not necessarily with rushing yards, but man, in the fewer carries he had, fewer than the backup Thomas Jones, he still found a way to lead the AFC in rushing that year and just panned out well for him. Now, if the Chiefs decided to keep him at at special teams only, sure, he could have been a great special teams player. Tyreek Hill could easily be the number one kick returner and punt returner if the Chiefs let him take back every single kick and punt return like they do, did with Dante Hall. Dante Hall was not necessarily the greatest wide receiver, and you had a couple of guys ahead of him on the depth chart, so that's why you saw Dante Hall take back just about every single kickoff and punt return. But Tyreek Hill, we all know, did not didn't have all of those duties this year and maybe they keep him at punt returner but not for kickoff returns uh maybe occasionally you'll see Tyreek Hill back there for emergency situations but uh, I think that's going to be something where you see the Chiefs have Tyreek Hill move away from that spot and have him focus more as an offense because we saw him just flat out dominate as a wide receiver this year and was one of the best wide receivers in the NFL a guy who played running back in college converted to wide receiver and has been one of the better wide receivers in the league this season, which is a very hard thing to do. And Tyreek Hill was able to do that for the Kansas City Chiefs this year. I didn't mention this guy, but DeAnthony Thomas also, he's done some things on special teams, as did Akeem Hunt. These are two guys who ended up on IR. Uh, Akeem Hunt uh, was usually in the top five when it came to uh, kick return average yards. DeAnthony Thomas, he's done some special things here and there on special teams, but never consistently. We've seen him do it in the preseason. We've seen him do it in the regular season. But again, just hasn't done it on a consistent basis. And I think if you're Kansas City, DeAnthony Thomas is set to be a free agent. Uh, Akeem Hunt's still under contract, according to SpotTrack. Uh, but as far as DeAnthony Thomas goes, uh, another guy who I think the Chiefs have been more than patient with, a guy who they drafted late in the fourth round, a speedster coming out of Oregon, you, I guess you've just got to consider, can DeAnthony Thomas, can you really use his his speed and his skill set and have him reach his potential? If if you can, sure, bring him back in. Uh, but obviously, you got to understand, not every single, not all 53 guys can reach your potential. There's just no way, there's just no room to let everyone be able to do that. Uh, maybe you can do so on offense part-time and maybe on special teams part-time. That is something Kansas City is going to need to decide. And I don't think they... You know, I I do think they bring him back. I do. Uh, I I think he's definitely someone who you could definitely use, especially on depth. I thought at times he really came through for the Chiefs on offense, 
on occasion when he needed when he when his number was called and they tried to move the chains and he was able to do that for the Chiefs a couple of times uh and on special teams you know he did his thing uh, as well so uh not the greatest football player but uh, you don't want to you don't want to lose that speed and the Chiefs do have a lot of speed across the board so, C.J. Spiller, we'll see what happens with him. Anthony Sherman, definitely got to bring him back. Definitely got to bring back Albert Wilson, as well as Zach Fulton. Defensive side of the football, I'm not too crazy about bringing back any of these guys. Benny Logan, Stephon Charles, Jarvis Jenkins, Kevin Pierre-Lewis, yeah, per- perhaps. Philip Gaines, not really. Uh, and then Terrell and Acker, um, you know, take him or leave him. Uh, I don't think uh, you suffer if you lose any of those cornerbacks. And Dustin Colquitt, I think, is going to be one who gets brought back. Not the greatest punter, as good as he was maybe five, six years ago, but uh, still ends up doing the job. Uh, And the the Chiefs special teams unit under Dave Tobe, uh, assuming he comes back, he does a very good job uh, of coaching this special teams unit. Although I don't think this was the greatest year for them under Dave Tobe, but for the most part, they always do a good job of, of pinning teams deep in their own territory. Uh, and Dustin Colquitt's done a good job with that. And, of course, the other guys on special teams uh, who have been out there trying to uh, catch the football uh, to end a, a punting play. Definitely something that uh, you you need. It, it's not talked about as often because you only see it once every few plays. But it is a very important aspect of the game and definitely can change momentum, change the complex of a football game. Uh, I mean, that, that's what field of position is about. And hopefully, uh, if Dustin Colquitt does come back, he can maybe do a little bit of a better job as a punter. That's the only thing I would ask from him in 2018 and uh, beyond if he has signed longer than that. Let me know your guys' thoughts on the roster, the personnel for the Kansas City Chiefs. Maybe you guys want to give your two cents or respond to anything I had to say. Facebook.com slash Farzian Twitter.com slash Farzian21. Farzine at FarzineVesugian.com. That's the email and the social media. Time to wrap up the show. Let's go around the NFL. Wow, what a weekend of football. It really was. Listen, I feel bad for the three people out there who are pretending to boycott the NFL. I'm pretending to be angry over these peaceful protests. Uh, When at the end of the day, we all know at the end of the day, that players have done way worse. But if people want to hold that big of a grudge and not watch football games because of that, I'll tell you what. Uh, they missed out on some great football over the weekend. Uh, you know, Falcons and Eagles, that one came down to the wire. Not the most exciting game, but when you have a close game like that, even if it's low scoring, uh, it still keeps you on the edge of your seat because you see that final drive and you're hoping that uh, you... You see some sort of a great ending, and man, the Falcons on fourth down, fourth and goal, cannot come away with that catch. Goes through his hands. I forgot which wide receiver it was, but uh, the Falcons were just right there to take the football game, and they choked. Sounds pretty familiar for the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, I'll tell you what else. The Steelers and the Jaguars, of course, a surprise to many people. I told you guys on here. Why I thought the Jaguars wouldn't win. Now, that reason, they did not win. But they kind of did in the first half. And I think at the end of the day, if the Jaguars' defense, if they don't have that aggressiveness like they did in the first half, I don't think they win that football game. And I think the Steelers would have scored 50-plus points 
and that of course would have been enough for them to win this football game now of course momentum and uh, game plans would have changed depending on certain things and how that all could have gone so maybe the Jaguars would have been more aggressive uh, at times they did allow the Steelers to come back but the Jaguars found a way to finish this football game and that defense uh, again they allowed a lot of points more than 40 points but they found a way to do some things just enough to help the team come away with a narrow win. And listen, you won on the road against a Steelers team that had a bye week. And I know we value bye weeks a lot. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad. People talk about, you know, you 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 come off a little rusty if you don't if you don't if you miss out on the bye week and if you're not playing. I don't know. I don't look too much into that stuff. At the end of the day, what I do know is that fans always want their teams to have that bye week in the playoffs, uh, more times than not. And what, what did we see? We saw Steelers team that fell and they lost, uh, kind of like the Chiefs last year. They had the bye week, but that doesn't always guarantee you that win. So big ups to the Jaguars. Uh, they had a very low-scoring, boring game against the Bills, only to have... A very exciting one, but that was not the most exciting one. Gosh, that Vikings and Saints game. Listen, uh, first of all, props to the Saints, but not not showing up in the first half definitely played a role in the Saints uh, losing this football game. But of course, the biggest thing people are talking about with the with the Saints, uh, Marcus Williams and the the the, uh, the misplay right there. Uh, it's turned into a an internet sensation now, but. Listen, uh, I, my only explana- explanation for Marcus Williams, I think he thought that maybe if he had touched him or tried to do anything, it could have resulted in an interference flag, and that would have been an automatic catch where they would place the ball right there and time would stop, and he maybe did not want that to happen. Maybe he thought someone else was in the area and could have made the tackle and said he runs into his own teammate. And Stefan Diggs just walks it in to the end zone in one of the most spectacular endings you will see to a football game. And it was a very special scene just seeing the fireworks immediately go off. And uh, just the fact that, you know, the Vikings got to celebrate a very special moment. Uh, This is a team that does not have a Lombardi trophy. A very historic organization. Uh, They've done a lot uh, over the years in the NFL but they don't have a Super Bowl win. And there's an opportunity for them to play the Super Bowl in their own home stadium. Now, you wouldn't necessarily have home field advantage. People don't realize this. I heard this uh, explained by Pat Kerwin, I believe it was. The NFL distributes Super Bowl tickets to all 32 teams to distribute to their fans. So it's not like Super Bowl tickets are only provided in Minnesota. I mean, they're provided everywhere. So the home field advantage won't necessarily be this, be there. And the other thing to, to keep in mind, obviously, you know, like in Arrowhead, you have uh, you have the PA announcer uh, and all these uh, you 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 you've got these crew members who are playing music uh, when the Chiefs are on a roll, playing that nice pump up song that you always play for that team. You won't have that crew for this Super Bowl, even if the Vikings are there. It's an NFL run game. It's not a Vikings run game. Uh, that's how this game would be. Uh, so in other words, I mean, you guys know me. I, I do media production for the Royals, and, uh, and I do the music for them occasionally. So, uh, you, you know, you wouldn't necessarily play pump-up songs whenever the Royals are on a rally 
or if they're uh, if they're dominating, if baseball was played in a neutral site game. I think that's the best way to put it. So keep that in mind. Even though the the Vikings could possibly play at home, uh, I, I, they they wouldn't necessarily have that home advantage feel. If that makes any sense. As far as who I think will win this weekend, listen, I'd love to say the Jaguars. Here's what I think will happen. I think the Jaguars' defense, I'll say it again, I think they're going to do some things to cause some problems. I think they can actually give Brady his worst game of the season, similar to what the Chargers did in the AFC title game in 2007, right when the Patriots were having that undefeated season. But I still think the Patriots will do enough to win in advance. So the Patriots, I think, are going to go to the Super Bowl shocker pick right there. I know. The NFC, my God, who, who do you pick in this one? I have no idea who to pick. Uh, this is going to be uh, up in the air, but I'll give it to Minnesota. I think Minnesota's going to find a way to pull off the win here on the road, and they're going to go back home to Minnesota and be the first team in NFL history to play the Super Bowl in their own home stadium. Let's go out of bounds. This is a very interesting story. This was tweeted out by Chris Vanini, who uh, broke the story, tweeting that the NCAA Transfer Working Group has been discussing allowing players a one-time transfer with immediate eligibility. Now, as we all know, in the NCAA, if a Division I athlete transfers, by rule, they must sit out one year uh, under their new school. Now, there's a possibility that it could change. And there are certain academic standards, and, and tampering has to... Uh, that, that cannot be allowed. But there's a possibility that they could allow tr- students to transfer and not have to sit out a whole year. Here's my thing with that. I, I, I love the idea of that, but I think a player would need a valid reason to want to transfer. I mean, you, you cannot just transfer from one school to another. I mean, in other words, if you're on a team that's not doing very well and there's another team on the rise and you just want to go to that team, look, you, you, you just cannot be granted uh, a, a tra- the option to transfer just because of that. Uh, so I think that's something you have to keep in mind. I think you have to... But I think play, uh, athletes should provide a valid reason as to why they want to transfer. Now, Vanini did write this in his tweet. This transfer option... Very possible that it could only be available for freshmen and sophomores. And that I would not be opposed to. I think that would make things a little bit fair. I think by the time you're a junior or a senior, you, you've got a pretty, you're pretty much acclimated to where you are. And, you, and you, surely you, you like where you are. Otherwise, you probably would have left by that time. So I think that is a fair one. But I still think at the end of the day, uh, even if you are a freshman or a sophomore, you've got to provide a valid reason as to why you want to transfer. If this rule does pass, by the way, if it's uh, proposed and passed, and uh, you know it needs to go under some sort of uh, regulatory committee where they review it, they discuss it, and if they approve, hey, go ahead and transfer, and you can play immediately. If they don't think it's a valid reason, well, then they reject it. Maybe you can appeal it and try again. But at that point, if it doesn't work, then you've got to stay at the school you are at or just announce that you're quitting. So 
uh, I love the idea. I think it's definitely something that needs to be considered with the NCAA. Uh, my only thing is I just think they need to uh, put in a rule that there's got to be a valid reason for a player to want to transfer. And hey, listen, I want to talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers. I don't talk a whole lot of NBA. Uh, we all know at the end of the day, a lot of people are expecting the Golden State Warriors and the Cleveland Cavaliers to meet in the NBA Finals once again. Uh been a very, very tough month for the Cavaliers. Not a good way to start the new calendar year. The Cavaliers are five are, are two and five in 2018. They've lost four in a row. They just lost to Golden State. They've lost four of their last five. They just wrapped up a five-game road trip, and then they lose to Golden State at home. Listen, uh, it, it's Cleveland, man. In a, in a season like basketball where there are 82 games, you're going to have a rough stretch at some point. You cannot expect perfection, and you cannot expect the team to avoid a losing streak like this in an 82-game season. Even in a se- I remember the Royals, the year they won the World Series, in a season where it's 162 games, there were some moments where the Royals struggled, and even though they were atop the American League for... About 98% of the time, I know Toronto took over briefly, but Kansas City got it back late in September. They still won the World Series. Listen, baseball is 162 games. You cannot expect a team to do well 162 times out of 162 times. Uh, it's just not reality. Uh, that many op- that many games, uh, it's always hard to come through on top every single time. And even then, even if you don't win, uh, losing streaks are expected in a season like that. So listen, I don't think it's anything to fret over, but look, it's LeBron James. It's the Cleveland Cavaliers, so it's got to be talked about. They've got to make a big deal out of it. Tom Brady loses one football game to Kansas City, and next thing I see is you know all these media outlets talking about how they could lose two in a row and be uh, be off to a really terrible start. So uh, I think we've got to be very careful and just understand that it's just a, it's just four games. Not, not that it's... Not that it's a good thing. No excuses, don't get me wrong, but it's a long season. So uh, they're, they're going to bounce back and find a way to get rolling again. So uh, don't make too much of this four-game losing streak because when they play Orlando this week, playing Oklahoma City, and again, both games at home. So this, this is just the first of three home games that they're going to be playing consecutively. They'll find a way to bounce back, and this four-game losing streak it's going to be in the rearview mirror, and it's not going to be talked about by the time February rolls around. Final segment of the show, let's throw a couple of penalty flags. Now, when the Vikings scored that touchdown late in the game, they still had to do the extra point. A meaningless extra point, but by rule, it it had to happen. And because of the pandemonium that just took place in Minnesota, uh, everyone was already on the field. Photographers would not leave. Everybody was celebrating like like the game was over. Uh, and Saints players actually went to the locker room. Now, because of the situation, 11 Saints pl- defensive players had to come back to the field just so... The Vikings could do a QB kneel on uh, technically what is a two-point attempt. I don't like I don't like the wording of that, but that's what really what it is. Uh, look, 
here's my thing. Uh, obviously, in overtime, if a team scores a touchdown, there's no need to kick a field goal because the game is over. I think there needs to be just a rule in place where if a touchdown is scored and if time expires, I think that there is no need to to do uh, an extra point. Whether it's one point or two points, if it has absolutely no effect on the game, just call the game right there and let it be over with. Seriously, why is it that this has to be done? I remember Larry Johnson scored a touchdown against the Raiders, I believe, as time expired, and the Chiefs took a three-point lead. Now, they went and kicked a field goal, even though it had absolutely no meaning to it. Earlier this year, Justin Houston picked up a fumble, ran it all the way back for a touchdown uh, with no time left on the clock, and there was the Chiefs had to do the extra point. Now, the Chiefs decided to just do a QB kneel because... You know, even if you kick a field goal, it's not going to have any impact on the final score of the game. You still win the game. Even if they block it and run it back, they don't win that football game. They, they gain nothing from that other than, you know, padded padded stats. And even then, that's not even a stat. You don't get stats on, uh, on special teams. I think it just goes as a block and nothing else. So I think the NFL needs to put in a rule that, listen, if there's no time left on the clock and if the team that scores a touchdown... Uh, wins, then forget the extra point. Don't do it. Now, here's another thing to consider. If a team's losing by three possessions and they still score a touchdown with no time left on the clock, uh, that's kind of an interesting. What do you, what do, you do there? I say the same exact thing. It's not going to have any impact on the final score, so don't even allow them to kick a field goal uh, people talk about, oh, making the score closer, making it respectable. Hey, that means nothing to me. Uh, making it respectable doesn't earn you any brownie points. Doesn't doesn't put a, an asterisk on your win-loss record. You still lose a football game or any game. Uh, so if, if I'm the NFL, I, I, I look into that and say, hey, uh, there's no need for these extra points with time expiring. So just let them meet at midfield, congratulate each other, and get out of there, do their interviews, and go to the locker room. So I think that's something the NFL needs to look into because it was kind of crazy on the field after Diggs scored that touchdown when really the Saints knew the game was over. Everyone knew the game was over. All right, uh, somebody is not winning Mother of the Year. Uh, A mother whose name, uh, Jen, they don't provide the full name, but uh, she is a mother in New Jersey, and uh, she has, uh, I don't know, uh, yeah, it's her her son's first birthday, and she's making cookies, which, you know, of course, mother does that, that's great, Uh, but she decides to make number one cookies for the son, because he's one year old, a year old, so, I mean, that's... That's understandable. That's, that, that, that's logical. I understand the reason behind that. Uh, however, the way she made the number one cookies... Oh, boy. Uh, it's not very pretty. Let's just say they look like male genitalia. It, listen, uh, I think nowadays with... I mean, obviously sex cells. Anything anything where you can make some sort of a sexual reference uh, to, make, to make someone look crazy uh, the way they they did something uh it's just gonna go viral it just is i i don't know how after there was a picture of this online 
Um, I mean, the what? Like, if if this was me making cookies, which first of all, never eat anything that I try to make. But if 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 I was forced to do this task, and if I had to make number one cookies, after like a couple cookies, I would say, hmm, these do look a little inappropriate, especially to give to a one year old. Uh, but I mean, as a mother, how do you just not see that? I, I, let me just say this: I, I'm looking at those cookies now. They look nothing like the number one. They really don't. Um, just the size and sh- shapes of these cookies. It really does look like uh, a certain male part. So uh, they, I, I just don't think this mother thought it through. Maybe she thought that the kids would not know about it. Surely the other one-year-old, I mean, who knows how old all the the kids are that are gathering for this. Surely you're inviting other parents who may have a little bit older kids, but surely one of the kids might recognize this. And you know, kids, they they always make big deal, a big deal out of nothing, but uh, just not a good move by the mother. Surely someone else took this photo and maybe someone who, who, who just happens to hate this mom uh, in their circle of friends and felt the need to humiliate her. I think that could have been the, that could have been another story behind this. Uh, this is on the Huffington Post. Uh, but man, just just not very good. Uh, the post went viral, and apparently that led to some sort of an argument with the family. Uh, Thirty five thousand likes and twelve thousand retweets, all for cookies. Number one cookies is what they were supposed to be, at least. One thing I do want to mention, I almost forgot about this in the Around the NFL segment, uh, but that going back to that uh, Steelers and Jaguars game, there was an occasion where Roethlisberger went beyond the line of scrimmage and threw the ball, but he threw it backwards. And I think it was to Le'Veon Bell, who uh, you know dodged a couple of defenders, uh, but for the most part, the defense was zeroed in on Roethlisberger because he passed the line of scrimmage. But Bell had a pretty much an open path to the end zone because there were not many players in front of him for him to try to get away from late in the game. I'm actually surprised. I had never seen anything like that, and this never crossed my mind. I'm surprised we don't see plays like that drawn up more often. So I've got to say, I think Bill Belichick, who we all know he he's very creative, and he'll come up with a lot of plays. I guarantee you, Bill Belichick will try to come up with something either in the AFC title game or in the Super Bowl, possibly the Super Bowl, where Tom Brady does scramble, and if, if Gillisley's back, if he's available, he'll throw it backwards to a guy like Gillisley, similar to the Steelers, and maybe that could kind of be a rub in the face of the Steelers, a team who they play often. Uh, but I can see Bill Belichick drawing up similar play like that, where... You know, you think uh, a play is about to come to an end because someone cross, a quarterback crossed the line of scrimmage, a slow quarterback, but then because he can throw it backwards and it's all legal, he does that and next thing you know, you see a very unique play. I'm very surprised we don't see this often and I think we will start seeing plays like that. I don't think that was by design, but it was very unique looking. It looked like it was done by design and I think we do see something like that more often, look for other teams to try to do that. And I think a team like the Chiefs, when they have a lot of speedsters, they have the ability to come up with that. So I definitely think they will try to look into that as well. Something to keep an eye on, for sure. That'll do it for this episode of the Chiefs Home Podcast. I'm Farzee Vasugian. Big thanks to all of you guys for listening to this podcast, downloading the Chiefs Home Podcast. Subscribe on iTunes if you haven't. Share it with your friends. If you enjoy the shows, share it on social media. 
Speaking of social media, I am on Facebook, facebook.com slash Farzine Masugian. Like my page, follow me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter as well, at Farzine21, and email me, Farzine at FarzineMasugian.com. This week will be the final week in which we do two podcasts per week. So we'll have another one later this week. That'll be out on Friday. And then from next week, we will do podcasts only once per week, and they will be out on Thursdays. Here's how the show is going to work in the offseason. We'll have podcasts out on Thursdays. Uh, but if there's any breaking news, if anything big happens, especially if it impacts the Kansas City Chiefs or if it impacts the NFL league-wide, then we'll do a, a podcast right away, kind of an urgent podcast, and discuss the, the matter on that. And, uh, hey, hey, I know you guys are, are never opposed to having more of the podcast, but in the offseason, there's less to talk about, and you guys all understand that. So the podcast will be moving back to once a week, but still going to be doing it at some time. Sometime in February, I will be taking a break from the podcast after the Super Bowl. So do keep that in mind. Uh, I think a much needed break from football is uh, what we could all use uh, after the Super Bowl. But uh, the podcast will be going back to once a week, starting next week after the conference title games. Big thanks to you guys once again for listening to the podcast. I'm Farzim Vesugian. Follow me on social media. Subscribe to the podcast. Share it. I'll talk to you guys on Friday. We will preview the offseason again. Look at some possible free agents and rookies who the Chiefs could go after this offseason. Talk to you then. Take care.